You are listening to Stand Out on LinkedIn, indispensable truths, tools, and tips, a show designed specifically to help you stand out. This podcast is for everyone looking to maximize their brand, network, career, and business initiatives, meaning finding a job, hiring, selling, and marketing. That pretty much includes most people. My team at Intero will be sharing their expertise and insight to get you one step closer to gaining traction and being a standout on LinkedIn. My team spends hours each day on LinkedIn, assisting companies in developing their brand, finding new talent for job openings, and even creating content to help professionals establish their credibility. The information they share on this podcast reflects what they see and do each day. If you're looking to stand out on LinkedIn, then you've come to the right place. Listen and receive actionable takeaways that you can utilize on LinkedIn to achieve your business and career goals. Welcome everyone. It's great to have my friend Jonathan Oleski from Calix Marketing with me today. We're going to have a conversation about marketing in um, certainly in the digital age, but doing digital marketing and how it's changed over the 10 years that he has had Calix Marketing. I'll let him talk more about who Calix is and the markets that they serve. So welcome, Jonathan. Hey, Colleen. Thank you. It's so much fun to be here. I, you know, Every time I see you, I'm like thinking, how long have we known each other? It's been a long time. Uh, I don't know. Time. I have to think on my feet, like 15, 16, 17 years. It's been yep. a while. Uh, it's been a while. I think 2004. So that would be 17 years. If there we, we go. I could almost do math in my head. Almost, yeah. but not quite. Well, yeah. well, it's thank you for having me. And, and it's a pleasure to chat with you and, and, and share hopefully some interesting things for your um, listeners. So we, just to kind of close the circle there, so we're an educational marketing firm. We specialize pre- predominantly in the independent private parochial school market. We work with day schools, boarding schools, early childhood through eight, K through 12s, all around the United States. And um, in the last few years, we've actually branched out uh, into kind of a very niche public STEM boarding academy and charter school space a little bit. These schools have actually sought us out, which was a very humbling and rewarding experience. So we're a full service marketing firm from market research to branding. We spend a lot of our time in the digital space, obviously. And and I think that's kind of the, the, what we're going to talk about today. So tell us, how did you land and create the niche within the education market, right? Instead of saying, you know what, everybody needs the services that we can offer in marketing. So rather than carving out a niche with a certain type of marketing, you, you selected a certain segment of the world. How'd you land on that? It's a great, it's a great story. So, so it, it ties into my personal story. So I'm celebrating 30 years is an on-campus faculty spouse. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. So my wife, Debbie, who you know, is a, a teacher and chair of the science department at Garrison Forest School uh, outside of Baltimore, Maryland. And this is kind of wild. When I was 25, when we got married, I moved into, uh, and Debbie doesn't let me forget this, into her faculty apartment in Meadowood Dorm uh, at Garrison. Uh, we had the pleasure of raising two wonderful daughters, Sarah and Emily. We were dorm parents for the first 13 years of our marriage, which was just an extraordinary experience. And uh, if you had told me we would, I would spend three decades, which is 
mind boggling living on the campus of a girl's day in boarding school. When I was 25, I would have said, you're crazy. That could never happen. So from that experience, I really grew to um, respect and admire the independent school ecosystem. And I said, you know, I've always had this marketing publishing background. We obviously were publishing colleagues many moons ago. And I said, I think there's an opportunity here to grow a business and to fill a need and to practice what I call, and I think you practice this too, servant leadership. We're here to serve our clients. It's not about us. It's not about awards and fancy things. It's about you know doing good and, and making a good living and being impactful and helping people who need our help. And um, the first few years were hard woefully undercapitalized, right? I can say that mm-hmm. 10 years later, um, some of my mentors who might be listening to this might be like, uh-huh, yes, you were. And, and candidly, it was is the result of a layoff, um, was laid off from a wonderful publishing job in Washington, DC, then started my first consulting firm, which I say proudly was an epic failure. I learned everything not to do, made all the mistakes, and then kind of pulled back a little bit and said, hey, we can really focus and Ultimately, I believe we can be impactful and successful. Yeah, I'm, I'm big on focusing, right? We kind of talked you about are. that even before, you know, just a little bit, right? And go deep and really have that expertise in a certain yeah. area. And we yeah. kind of both approached it um, the same way, starting a business where we had to like reverse engineer, right? Yeah. We had to become specialists in respective yeah. areas rather than, you know, a lot of people who start their business because they have all this expertise. But a lot of times those people don't have the yep. business development yep. side, you know, and, and understanding. So 10 years, it's it's soon to be 10 years. 10 years, had, Monday, right? May 23rd will be 10 years. Um, we're, we're, we were just talking about this. We're very excited to, you know, everyone needs to refresh their brand, right? And so we are refreshing the Calix brand. We've been working on it for the better part of, I call it this academic year, because that's how we measure things by the academic year, because we're in the education space. So later this summer, we'll we'll introduce our new brand and our new website. And um, you know, I'm just incredibly lucky that I have this very smart, their wicked smart team of colleagues that that helps do what we do. And so we've all been working on it behind the scenes. Yeah. And the other piece that's really interesting in how you put the team together, they are experts in their respective areas. And it is a group of senior people, right? They were, they've have, they have a lot of experience. They have experience moving from traditional marketing mm-hmm. into the digital space. Mm-hmm. And you were really intentional about building your team. That a way. lot of, yeah, no, a lot of intentionality. I just wrote a blog post where I celebrated the team and I said, the value proposition are these eight people who sit around the table. If not for the eight people, there would be no Calyx. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and one of the things we're going to do, I'll just put, give, give a little preview, um, based on some wise collective advice, we're going to move from Calix marketing to Calix marketing group because it better articulates the value proposition. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's really important. And, you know, you've got an amazing team as well, right? You can't do it all yourself and you have subject matter experts. And I think that's really important. And for any business owner, any C-level, any manager who's listening to this, you know, how do we move through life and build our respective teams, right? Mm-hmm. Whether they're mentors, whether they're a team of advisors, or if we are at the C-level, our trusted allies and also friends who can call us out, right? I mean, mm-hmm. 
you know, when we used to work together, Colleen McKenna would call me out all the time when I missed out. Um, but but that not that what it's about? Right. Holding, you know, holding friends accountable in a good way. Right. Exactly. And I and I think that it's also important because these are experts in research and, and market marketing and writing. I mean, you've got one of the top writers in the Baltimore area on your oh, team. You. Um, who's yeah, been Sarah's great. Yeah, highly regarded for 25 yeah. years. I, I yeah. mean, I know her name. I don't know her personally, but yeah, probably even Sarah Hockenbach is wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I just think it's interesting how they have continued with all of the change, and we're going to get into this digital piece in a second. Yeah. Are as relative relevant today as they were 20 years ago in that traditional space. And and you know, we all have to study up and read. And you know, I I used to say I used to, I don't anymore. I used to say that I was a true subject matter expert. Now I'm a generalist, right? If if there's one platform I probably use the most, it's the platform where you've built your business around. And you could teach me many, many things I don't know about LinkedIn. And, And yet, you know, I think back to 10 years ago when we were first starting out, and this might be a good, a good segue, we had a school on the East Coast that said, hey, we hear you understand how to use something called Facebook to engage prospective families. We really need to reach moms and pull them into our admissions funnel. Can you help us? And we're like, of course we can. And this was back in the day, all right, so this was 10 years ago, right after we opened our doors, that you could run a Facebook campaign for like four weeks and really move people to an event or an open house. Not so much today with the overload and the, everyone is inundated with ads and calls to action and content. And, you know, so 10 years ago, four to six weeks campaign. Today, schools are running 10, 11, 12 month campaigns to constantly keep that awareness top of mind. So Mm -hmm. so what a difference 10 years makes. Right, and so... One of my questions is because you are you are on those social platforms because you're trying to reach that consumer, that parent. And you know, that's that's not my space. What are the most critical platforms? What are the emerging what yeah. does that landscape yeah. look like? Yeah. Because I think it's more complicated than ever. Oh, it is it it, it is so complex. And and it's interesting because we we have a lot of angst around this small little platform called Facebook. Okay, I'm tongue-in-cheek. It is not mm-hmm. small. Um, you know, look, some people, let's be very candid, will say they think it's helped to make America worse off today than it was before we had Facebook. Yeah. And yet, on the other hand, you know, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. I have a lot of West Coast friends. You know, our family is all over the world. I connect with them and I talk to them like almost every other day. My 85 year old mom cannot understand this at all. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, how do you talk to my friends on Facebook, Jonathan? And how do you know things? that I don't even know, and I'm in Tucson and you're in Baltimore. And I'm like, well, mom, something called Facebook. So, you know, we look, I think with every social platform comes great responsibility and, and, and excellent stewardship. Um, and I think the reality is the owners and the C-levels that run a lot of these platforms do not practice great responsibility and excellent stewardship. And, and we've even had some schools that have said to us, you know, we're not sure if we want to use certain platforms. And, and, and I think that's the right approach. And yet the reality is Facebook is the 900 pound gorilla, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to reach, all right, let's be very blunt, moms of a certain age, of school-aged mm-hmm. children, right? Yeah. I mean, where else are you going to go? 
I, we're not going to go to LinkedIn. Right. You know, we're, we're probably not going to go to TikTok. We're not going to go to Twitter. You know, where are we going to go to to have that organic content kind of conversation that comes from the school? And, and then where are we going to go to use that targeted paid ad campaign where we can reach by demographic into a zip code to deliver a message on behalf of our tuition paying school clients? So would you say that, I mean, would it even be conceivable to put together a marketing plan for an independent school and not have a digital component? No, you can't. You can't. I mean, we, we've seen this interesting paradigm shift in, in, in the pre-K through 12 education space. I would say in the last, let's call it five years, maybe about five years ago, you started to see this tipping point where, you know, so let's say 80% of the budget was traditional marketing. TV, radio, billboards, bus stop advertisements, direct mail, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All sorts of amazing mailier, ma- mailings, mailers, so that's not a word, but mm-hmm. it's a Friday afternoon. Yeah. You know, if, if any of you who are listening have high school students who are getting ready to go to college, my guess is because they've taken the SAT, the, S- the SAT and the ACT, you're probably getting, oh, hundreds of pieces of mail a month, possibly, mm-hmm. you know, huge stacks. Um, And they're also getting inundated on the digital side. So five years ago, you know, maybe seven, I'm generalizing 70, 80% of a school's budget was traditional, 20, 30 was digital. And then you had the flip. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, as we talked before we we, we came on live, I was just talking with the school president, um, not who sits not far from this area called Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. Like she could drive there. Oh, in about 30 minutes, be at the heart of it. Um, one hacker way, which happens to be Facebook's address, um, is not far from her school. And, and we're talking about a major digital campaign for the coming academic year, but we're also talking about disruptive marketing and how we can use some strategic billboards as part of a messaging campaign. So just think of the, the right. irony there, right? Right. It, like, when, like, when a billboard is the disruptive vehicle, that is kind of crazy. When you said it earlier, I was like, okay, I'm just going to save that until we go live because that's yeah. funny. But why not? Right. You know, and, 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 and you still have to be respectful of what you're going to put on the billboard because everybody could see it. And then we can build a campaign around that billboard. So we had a, we had a client, this was we, they engaged us for a market research study. We eventually did positioning work with them. And then we did a full-on digital campaign. Um, I, I, I'm not going to name the school, but let's just say uh, in the great state of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. north of us. And before they hired us, they did something kind of unheard of for schools. They bought a billboard. That wasn't unheard of. But they were very direct. And they said the average SAT score at a public school in this region is X. The SAT score at the average SAT score at our independent school is Y. And it was like, I don't want to say people were driving off the road, but it was it was really disruptive in your face and it created a buzz. So it was the messaging that was disruptive as well as the vehicle, too. Well, right. The vehicle, you know, and we think about, you know, so let's say you're a media buyer, right? And, and we'll just use Baltimore as an example because both of our businesses are based in Baltimore. Would you rather have a digital billboard 
that flashes and changes, or would you rather have a permanent billboard that's 24 seven? I'd probably rather have the permanent billboard if yeah. I'm going for a real disruptive campaign. Um, and, and you and I have seen amazing billboards as you go up and down 83 and they're not inexpensive, right? Right. So inter- it's kind of interesting to think about just even designing all of these different components that need to be put into any, any campaign. So, and, and this is different, right? Because again, my specialty being LinkedIn, I spend a lot of time talking to companies and, you know, about, hey, you know, you can spend a lot of money on a campaign and doing campaigns and we can help you with the campaigns, but you've got this whole area that is organic on LinkedIn that really needs um, some attention, right? How people show mm-hmm. up and and um, how they engage with their networks and, and leverage networks and all of that. And then use content, obviously. But really, that's not what's happening on Facebook and Instagram, right? Because it's coming from the school. So it is more reliant on a paid campaign, correct? Yeah, well, yes, but. So mm-hmm. so one thing that we really emphasize with educational clients, and, and I think this also goes for the higher ed market, it can't just be all paid. There has to be really authentic, organic material and content that's put out there. And it's not just like, oh, we just won this amazing lacrosse tournament and aren't we wonderful? No, it really needs to be like, you know, is your three-year-old struggling with language skills and what's the solution for that? Have you thought of introducing these types of books to your child? Well, when I was a young parent and, you know, these social media and digital didn't exist, I sure could have used that, those Mm -hmm. insights. Instead, we had to go to the old fashioned, you know, you, what was it, what to expect when you're expecting and yeah. what not yeah. to expect in, the, in, in, in those books. You know, the other thing that we really, um, and I think this goes for all businesses across all categories, your digital communication has to be authentic, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it can't be inauthentic because it just shows and think about whether it's, you know, Gen Z, the millennials, they're such rabid consumers of digital content, they know when it's inauthentic, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. pass the smell test, they're going to tell you. So so one tool that we've used, and this is, you know, this gets to the paid campaign. So let's say, you know, we're going to launch a campaign for a, co- a co-ed school in a large urban market. And, you know, we're going to target a whole series of, um, first, we're going to raise awareness, then we're going to do call to action, come to a coffee with the head, come to an admissions open house, et cetera, we suggest to the schools to really think about the pain points that their market is thinking of. You know, why is a family say that might have been avid public school fans thinking of making a switch and making a major family investment? You know, so we might say, you know what? Let's put together, and we did this for a school um, in Northern Virginia not long ago, let's put together a downloadable PDF that we can offer up, say, through a Facebook campaign on the five ways to help with the affordability issue for an independent school. Download now. And, and, and I don't want to say they're kind of, they're very basic ideas, but a family might not be thinking about that. Or it could be if you're a single sex school, um, you know, I obviously have spent 30 years here, as we talked about at the girls school. So single sex schools, girls schools especially have to advocate 
why the studies show that a single sex education for girls when it comes to science and math is going to produce better outcomes. So you could have a downloadable PDF on here's the three reasons why girls do better in a science and math class at a girls school. And here's how our programs are built out to handle that. Interesting. And so the research is a really big component of the work. Re- that yeah, re- research is critical. Um, I got some great advice and I won't name the name. I don't believe this firm still exists in the Western Hemisphere. But from when I was really young, from a really smart ad agency executive who said, you know, Jonathan, there's so many, what did he call it? Hit and run marketing firms that come in, they spout tactics and all they really want is your money. Mm-hmm. He said, but the really good ones, and, and I thought this was really impactful, make a client invest in research. And I thought that that really resonated with me. And, and, and we, we, about a third of our business is, 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 is market research. We spend a lot of time really, um, Donna Belinke, who is our marketing strategist, uh, has a great phrase, really peeling back the onion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really getting in the mindset through deep dive one-on-one interviews with prospective families, what are their pain points? What are they looking for, for their children? What's their perception of the five schools in their rural market per se? Then to your point, you can go build out your messaging. Then you can build out your marketing action plan. Then, and only then you can build out your digital campaign, right? Mm-hmm. So that like sequential methodology. The problem is, as we know, because you have clients like this, you can't just press pause on everything, right? Right. So a lot of it you have to dual track, right? Which is exactly. which, which can be challenging. And would you say, um, because certainly a lot of the schools that you've worked with, a lot of independent schools, parochial schools, they've been around for a long time, right? So sure there is sure a deep history, and understanding and reputation around a lot of those schools in the charter world, a little bit different, a little bit, right. So any, any kind of, you know, it's interesting. So we all know that a school's reputation can change in an instant, right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it, it, it doesn't take long. We, We said early on to all of our schools, it's not a question of if you're going to have a social media crisis, it's when, you're going to have a social media crisis. And when you do, how do you react instantly? I was just involved with a client yesterday. Um, this actually just came up and, and something was moving very quickly. And we called our team and their team together instantly and got on a Zoom and said, okay, let's game plan this out because we don't know what we don't know is going to happen in the next 24 hours. So to that point, um, I was... I. I I was sitting next to, and I won't name the, the school, it's in a large urban market on the East Coast, next to a former head of this school, and they were in the throes of a shocking crisis that, you know, it didn't involve drugs and rock and roll, but the word sex was out there and, and just very inappropriate. And authorities were involved and whatnot. And, and the school kind of had a Teflon reputation. Things just fell off. And I said to this head, I said, um, how are you doing? He said, well, you know, we have a lot going on. And obviously, you know, he was a long-term former head. He'd retired. So, you know, he said, Jonathan, my job is to support the current head. And I called him up and I told him, I said, you know, when I retired, I left this book on school management on your bookshelf. Take it out, open it up, go to page 34. That's what you're living right now. Mm. So So the handbook was updated enough that it had something about digital in there? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, it's so, so go, so going to reputation, right? You know, you go into a supermarket, you have a bad experience while well, you pick up your phone and you go on Reddit, you go on Google, you go on Facebook, you go on TikTok, Twitter, you let the world know pretty quickly. Same thing happens with schools. We, um, have a, 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 you know, we, we have a lot of schools that reach out to us constantly. And we had a school not long ago that reached out to us. And what's the first thing that I did? Because I didn't know a lot about the school. Well, I went to that little search engine called Google, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. and, and let's talk about Google in a minute. And I Googled it. And at the bottom of the first page of the organic search were some shocking comments on an old public form. Now, what's today? 2022? These were from 2018 but they showed up on the bottom of the first page of the organic search. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my, this is some of the worst comments. It was a diatribe. Someone really was out to get them, but it was there and that needs to go away. And, and, and there are ways to do it by producing fresh content and yeah. moving it off the first page. Because if I found it in about three seconds and you know, to that point, so think about this, I'm, I'll, I'll quote three, three stats, 93% of all online interactions start start with a search engine. Mm-hmm. 91% of the search market is owned by Google. Mm-hmm. We Google everything. I, I don't, have you Googled anything today, Colleen? Uh, I would probably say probably 30 or 40 things. This is why I say we are Google <laughs> smart, right? right? Like we may not be smart, but we are Google smart. So that's- <laughs> can, can, I wonder if you could like trademark that. Google might, you know, instead of Google certified, you're Google smart. I right? know. Right, right. There's a lot of Google smart going on. Yeah, but so so think about that. One plus billion people use Google every month. A billion. Yeah. You know, so if a school is not Google smart and they have a perception and or reputation problem, it will show up there pretty darn quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's a big thing I would say that's changed in 10 years. Yeah. So yeah. do you have to do a lot of education with your clients? We do, we do. You know, think about search engines too. Okay, so once again, we're, we're, we'll centralize in the Baltimore area. I believe not far from where you live, there's a pharmacy called Lycos Pharmacy. Right around the corner. Do you remember Lycos search engine? Do you remember there was a search engine called Lycos? Oh, I actually I, don't. So when this was a long, long time ago, and I don't remember the story about it, but I remember I had some friends like, oh, Lycos is great, you should use it. And I thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> Didn't last too long, right? Right. Right. (laughs) And at one point, and and this could still be the case, I I am not the digital expert, but at one point I read years ago, there was something like 200 search engines out there. Yeah. You know, once again, we're we're concerned with one, Google, based on the stat that, you know, 91% of the search market is owned by Google. I don't want to say we can't be dismissive of the other 9% because that's not being smart. But if 91% is owned by Google, and you really have to have a keen understanding of, of, of the analytics to the point, probably like you do, yeah. you know, we, we, we build out proprietary dashboards. So our, our, our schools are able to look at all of the data from their campaigns in real time. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's enormously helpful for them. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I, I get emails that, you know, I need help. Please help me understand LinkedIn. I, I need to understand the algorithm so I can beat it. I'm like, all right, let's oh, wow. just do a, a quick timeout, right? <laughs> so so regardless of the platform, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, Google, the algorithm smarter than the people who designed the, the algorithm, right? So they can't even control the algorithm anymore. Uh, you know, right. this is, again, I'm being Google 
smart and there is a pun <laughs> there. So how about if we go back to being authentic and just thinking about best practices and make sure we're using the platforms the right way and let people get to know us and, and all of those things, right? And the messaging be spot on because we're never going to beat the algorithm on any of these platforms. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. if we, we work to understand what that platform does value and how we can come across authentically, we'll be in much better shape. So I'm, I'm like, oh, we're not going to be, we're not going to, it's futile to think we're going to yeah. eat the algorithm. So let me ask you a question if I can. We'll, sure. we'll, we'll turn the interview to, to, to Colleen and LinkedIn. So you know, one trend that I've seen a little bit that I wish would just go away and, you know, no, no one can, we don't control the social platforms, but, but I'm seeing people in LinkedIn, and this was an educator, and LinkedIn, who, who started to kind of Facebook eyes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, um, and maybe that's a trend, but it was a little too revealing. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking professionally, I don't want to say this was not a good move to be that. It was a rant. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, I don't know if a professional rant has a place on Facebook because this person is trying to change careers and people can see that. And any quick thoughts on that? Um, so I'm not big on rants. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we actually have a, a good friend, a mutual friend who was my editor early on. And, you know, when I would talk with her, um, I would say, oh, I, I need to write. I need to write a blog post. That's just a rant. She's like, wow. OK, well, you know, you can rant every eighth blog post. And, you know, but then then I'm going to kind of edit yeah. it so it doesn't sound yeah. so obnoxious. Oh, um, funny. So it depends, number one, what you're ranting about, I think. Um, Lots of people have said LinkedIn is becoming more, you know, more Facebook-like. I think that there's this place where uh, where LinkedIn has become more human, more Uh holistic Mm -hmm. as a person, Mm -hmm. right? As opposed Mm to, oh, I have to sound corporate and I need to sound a certain way. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. But I do think that people need to, to your point, understand it's, you know, again, I talk about LinkedIn as a business tool, not a social mm-hmm. media platform, right. yeah. because yeah. people who are, you know, on social media, yeah. it, it's different, right? On LinkedIn, we everything is yeah. intentional where there's a purpose. There's, you know, short-term, yeah. long-term goals here, how you build your network, what people, how people vet you on LinkedIn and the lens that they use is very different than when they're listening to you rant about something on Facebook or Twitter Mm -hmm. or Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a part that I kind of like that humanity piece, but, you know, I saw something the other day on LinkedIn and I was like, "Mm, mm, I don't know about that. Part of it is I think that sometimes, um, and this is true, you know, of people who are just not familiar with the platform, LinkedIn, thinking, oh, they're all the same. And (laughs) um, not understanding the difference between each one of them and how they actually work. Because um, we actually had a client last year who I was like, oh, this is not going to fly. What they do? um, They just posted something very, very political. And I'm like, uh, this is something we would not recommend. And they were like, well, this is my take on it. And people expect that from me. And I'm like, that's perfectly great. However, we're probably not a good fit. We're just not not a good fit. So get this. This was the most, 
not that you're asking me what the most shocking thing is that I ever saw on LinkedIn, but if you asked, I would say a respected business leader. I don't know if this person, I don't know what the what was. Um, there was a four letter word in their post. Mm-hmm. And I'm, this was a bunch of years ago and I about fell out of my chair because I know this person. I'm like, you can't do that. That reflects poorly on you. I'm private messenger. I'm like, for gosh sakes, would you take that down? Yeah. I mean, I was personally, I wasn't offended by the word, but I'm like, I was offended that they thought they could just do that in, in LinkedIn. I'm like, no, no, I, I don't think you should do that on any social platform, but especially not in a business centric environment, considering who the person was. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, at some Surprise. point, you, you know, somebody might want to be on a board or, you know, a great career opportunity. And it just, you don't know what is going to be the one thing that somebody says, you know what, this is kind of a little bit, as, as my daughters say, oh, that sounds like a hot take, right? Something apparently a hot <laughs> take is like, what's controversial, like what you deem controversial. Um, so it, it's kind of, you know, you just need to be a little bit more mindful. Now, we log in and we see different clients, like because of, it's all based on their network too, who they right, are and their right, network. Right, right. And so, you know, my network is reasonably based on everybody that I'm connected to, you know, however many thousand people I'm connected to on LinkedIn. Um, I have a lot of variety, but I would say that mine's probably pretty tame. I log into some other people's LinkedIn or we'll be doing a coaching session. They're logged in and I'm seeing their feed and I'm like, wow, they're very different. So again, you know, the five people you choose to associate with, you know, like that whole um, adage, you know, you are the combination of the people that you kind of hang out with. So sometimes that's reflective on social. You know, it's interesting you say that because I learned uh, my, one of my teachable moments on LinkedIn a bunch of years ago, um, Someone reached out to me who I was doing, they were pitching me for to buy a service that I bought at, at, at that point in, in Calix. And I'm like, okay, you know, we had had a conversation. They connected with me. So I knew them and I let them in. And then they kind of started getting strange. And, and, and a, I don't want to say political, but just strange. And, and someone else who I knew even made a comment like, why are you connected to that person, Jonathan? It, it reflected poorly on me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my other LinkedIn stories since were confessions of a LinkedIn user, right? Yeah, right? That's what we could call this. I let a social media pest in. I made mm-hmm. the mistake. Someone said, oh, hey, Jonathan, I'm Bob Smith and I'm friends with such and such. And uh, yeah, I met you briefly at that event. You know, let's connect. And I didn't really think about, and I let him in. And about four hours later, I got several private messages from friends like, who is this guy? Because he's trying to hard sell me. And he says, he's your, your good friends. And I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't think smartly here. And I messaged him immediately and I said, look, stop it now mm-hmm. or we will, uh, what's the phrase disconnect. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you want an introduction, there's a methodology here to provide introductions, ask me, and I'm happy to do a few. I'm not mm-hmm. going to do 50 for you, mm-hmm. you know, two or three. Um, and then he went away. Yeah. Yeah. You only need to get, you know, hopefully you only need to get called out one time. So this kind of takes me to, so two, two little like tips. This is why I have a closed network on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Because there's a really, really large segment of my network. And I think you do too now, by the way, super, super, super important, right? That, and the integrity of that network is really critical to our business. Yeah. 
And, you know, and I do in every session, I do show people how to you to go through somebody else's network if it's open, right? With the best of intentions, not not to be that that pest and and still to ask for those um, introductions. And LinkedIn has just rolled out a new feature where you can actually go in and I think they're going to expand on this, but I think the first rollout was you can say that you no longer want political content in your feed. Wow. Yes. So um, I think that was really, number one, certainly super intentional, kind of allowing people more personalization of that feed. Um, They're changing the algorithm a little bit. We'll be kind of talking about that um, coming up, but it's just interesting, right? Like I I don't want to see, I'm I'm there for business purposes. I don't want to see all of that political commentary in my feed, right? So I think it was really great that LinkedIn took that and said, hey, you could choose to have it there or you can turn turn it off if you like. So definitely, yeah, Yeah. good tip there. So it's interesting because as we kind of think about the space that we are both kind of tied to, right? I like to think that we do a lot of time, uh, I'll spend a lot of time educating people on best practices, you strategy and then security, right? Because security is a big one, right? They're they're all really really important. And you know, I'll be working with people. And I'll be like, you know what? Looks like you haven't changed your uh, password for I don't know. Looks like that says 2019 to me. Like we should probably just do a little quick while we're here. Let's just create a new new password. So it's there's so many ways that you have to position doing the work that we do. We have to make sure we're good advocates for our clients. We're sort of ahead of the curve, keeping them ahead so that um, they can continue to stand out and then remind them none of us own these platforms. And, no, and, no. and there, are, there are nefarious situations that occur. I don't know if situations can be nefarious, but you know what I mean? Um, I think maybe just people can be nefarious. I'm not sure. But people but, sure can, right? Yeah, right. So building building that advocacy and education remind, and constantly reminding people of, of that security piece, I think is really important. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, we, you and I have obviously talked a lot off, off, off interview and, you know, we've probably all, whether it's in our business lives, our personal lives, you know, we're so aware of hacking today, right? Mm -hmm. It's sadly, it's become Mm -hmm. the norm. Um, I do wonder why these folks can't just go get an honest job. Mm -hmm. Why do they really have to um, hurt and damage others, but they feel like they do maybe, you know, and, and I'm not an expert when it comes to hacking, you know, some of them clearly from what I read are nation states that mm-hmm. are doing it. Let's, let's call it that. But to your point, you know, you live in the LinkedIn ecosystem. We live within the Facebook and Google ecosystem. We don't own the platforms. Mm-hmm. So when there's a hack, we become a victim of that hack. Mm-hmm. I think both you and I have experienced mm-hmm. issues with clients over the years. And, and I think you said it best. You can't pick up the telephone and call LinkedIn or Facebook because <laughs> nobody's going to, first of all, what number you're going to call. Yeah. Second of all, nobody's going to answer. We even had an issue where we had to send uh, you know, a formal legal letter to one of these big platforms. Um, was it a surprise they never responded? <laughs> you know? Yeah. We even had one of these platforms say to us, you know, we talk a lot to 
on the paid ad side, you know, they're marketing people. That's when they want to talk to you, right? Yep. If you're going to spend money with them, they'll talk to you if you spend a certain amount. And, and at one point we were talking to one of them, it was about an issue and a problem and it involved a hack. And they're like, well, candidly, if you really want to know, you're going to have to go get a court order. And we're like, what? That's insane. Well, it's proprietary and we can't tell you. But if you get a court order and I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could just and tell us. And so, you know, it, it can be, so think about it for, for what we do. It can be incredibly frustrating when we have an issue with a client where something isn't working, right? Or a hack is involved. And if you're the client, I was reading um, restaurant in Severna Park, Maryland. The name is escaping me. Somebody hacked and took over their Facebook page and it took him over six months to regain control of the page and and to get Facebook to help him. So think about that. A restaurant in this day and age, he didn't have his restaurant Facebook page for six months. And Lord knows what the hackers were putting on it and saying it and doing it. It's very scary, which also Mm -hmm. begs the question, as business owners, are we properly prepared to deal with this? Do we have the right legal resources in place? Do we have the right insurance in place? Mm-hmm. You know, that I'm, I'm going through a comprehensive review of that right now. And, and is, is this smart firm I'm working with said to me, look, what's your tolerance for risk? Mm-hmm. And also, just like everything else, it's an investment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if, if, if you're, it really is. Yeah, you really have to see it that way because otherwise it's like, wow. It's costing me a lot to to be on these platforms, and um, yes. but it, it's really I think I think it's um, incumbent upon us to constantly again. That's part of the advocating. Like, okay, these are the things that we're seeing. You're reading about them. You know, you're hearing okay. about them. You also have to do reviews. You have to do have an understanding of how these platforms operate. I mean. I couldn't tell you the number of people that send me emails. I just had somebody, a client, you know, can't get into their LinkedIn profile and it goes on and on. And they're like, can you just give me the number? I'm like, there is no number. (laughs) You know, and then they'll be like, I found a number. I'm like, that's great. But the person you think is going to answer that phone number is not, is not them. Right. So to that, no, to that point. So we had an issue with another platform that wasn't LinkedIn. We got no help from that platform. So I went on LinkedIn to find a bunch of their senior leadership to message them, talk about maybe being the social pest. Do you think one of their senior leaders responded to me? No. Mm. But but now maybe that says something about the platform. I won't name that platform. But I figured, okay, hey, the, um, some of these people are like my second connections. There's some commonality. It's not like I'm a total stranger. Well, but to me, in my world, like my, my initial reaction, it speaks to maybe their digital literacy, right? That they don't even know that they should be paying attention to what's happening. You know, they think, well, that's not their direct or their first, you know, channel. Right. Right. However, I have done the same thing. I have gone to LinkedIn and I've been like, you know what? I need to talk to somebody at your organization. And again, there are certain indicators that we look for to see if they're actually using LinkedIn. Right. And 
sometimes they're just non-responsive, but that goes back to leaders have to be on enough. They need to know about all of these different platforms because they have to understand that their customers, their candidates, their investors, their volunteers, their donors, their sponsors, whatever, their students, at some point they're on all these different channels. So somebody, if if the leader is not going to manage that particular platform, they need to... (laughs) you know, turn it over to somebody else that will at least be paying a little bit of attention because, you know, some of these people, we might not continue to engage with those people, right? Or their companies, I mean. So what they should do is they should reach out to Ontario Advisor and you can help them with that, right? How about <laughs> there that? you go. There you go. <laughs> well, we could continue this conversation. We've had a great conversation sure, today. I think fun. some big takeaways, right? You need digital. You need you need to understand how the search engines work. You need digital platforms like Facebook, like LinkedIn, um, and you need to work with people who actually understand them. If you don't have the internal resources to and and bandwidth to to really manage them well, because there's a lot to know about each of them, and one person. Absolutely you know, in a marketing department is unfortunately not going to be able to dive in and be that expert, that champion for more than one platform. So they're going to have to kind of choose, right? Would, is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And I'll leave you with um, a nice little LinkedIn success story of the week. How about that? I uh, love that. For, for, for uh, yeah. the interview. We get recommended a lot in online forms and whatnot. And this happened to be um, someone recommended us in that little form called Facebook um, mm-hmm. in a group. And they tagged me and I went on and said, oh, I'd love to talk to you. This was a school um, over in London that's looking to hire a market research firms just his last 24 hours. I said, oh, I'd love to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought I might've known the person. So I went to in LinkedIn, looked him up and I sent him a message and I just said, hey, you know, I, it turns out I didn't know them, but we're connected to some people. I said, oh, you know, I saw you made this comment in Facebook. Take a look at our website. Love to talk to you. And um, earlier this morning, in came an inbound through our website. Jonathan, thanks for reaching out by LinkedIn. Looking forward, let's set up a Zoom. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, from one platform to another, using the website, we're going to use Zoom. Think about all that connectivity, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I'll be doing a podcast coming up in the next few weeks where we'll be talking about how sales actually works in today's world potentially without really even ever meeting people, right? Because we have all of these different channels that we can connect on. We have Zoom. We're doing this um, interview on Zoom right now. So I'll kind of tease that that episode because I think it'll be- I can't really wait funny. to hear it. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting. And I'm a big believer in that. I love in-person, but you know, across the pond, that's not going to happen so quickly. So again, yeah. connecting in different channels makes so much sense, Right because they have different purposes. So I love that. Love talking with you today. Well, thank you. It was fun. Great weekend. And um, for those listening, catch us again in some of our upcoming episodes. We will be talking about not only LinkedIn, but sales, marketing, recruiting, and just some different ways that you need to think about those, how you approach those initiatives with some new ideas. Love some new ideas. So thanks everyone for listening. Take care, care, Jonathan. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Get to know us there and on our website, interoadvisory.com. We have lots of valuable content and inside our membership site and even more beyond that. 
Thanks for listening. We appreciate a shout out on your preferred channel, a review or a comment on what you'd like to hear us discuss. You can listen in on Apple, Spotify, Google Play and other channels. Check out our tutorials on our YouTube channel too. Until next time, thanks for joining.